I can say. Right? Amen, amen, amen. Man, it is great to finally be back here with you this morning and to open up God's word and talk about this guy named Jesus and how he changes everything in our lives. All right. if, good morning to you, all of you who are joining us online. It's great to have you with us as well. And if you are new here, man, welcome to Vertical, right? Welcome to Vertical. We love the fact that you're here this morning. Amen to that. And we, we, want, we, we want you to know when you walk out of this door, and we hope that through worship and through word, you know how much God loves you. Right, because God does love you. And I hope that it goes more beyond just knowing that maybe this morning, if you've not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you realize today the life is changed through Jesus and you give him your life this morning. Right, that's why we exist as church, to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. And gang, if you would, open your Bibles to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, we're going to be starting at verse 45 in a few minutes. John chapter 4, verse 45. Before we get into this this morning, I want to share a couple items with you that are coming up next. Um, the things that are important that are coming up that I want to continue to get in front of you so you be aware of them. The first is that we have a small group leadership training coming up on November 7th. November 7th, after second service, small group leadership training. If you lead a small group or if you host a small group, we're asking you to attend this meeting. Uh, if you want to start a small group, <clears throat> if you want to start a small group, right? If you want to host a small group, we want you to attend this meeting, this training, because as we move forward and recharge our small group ministry, which I believe is a huge part of a thriving and growing church, we want to help support you as leaders and host homes to, to have the best life transformational groups as possible. And so we want you to be a part of that. This past week, I sent an email out to a whole bunch of people to, to get registered for that training. I have received a few responses back, but here's the thing. I know that the, the list that I have is old and may not have you on it. If you are a leading group and you didn't get the email, do me a favor, pull out that orange connect card and write that you want to attend that training on there and turn it to the orange tables after service. And this week, I will be in touch with you about how to get part of that, be a part of that and come see what God wants to do in our small group ministry, uh, which I believe is absolutely amazing. Um, we'll have lunch provided. We're working on trying to provide childcare. If you need childcare, please mark that on there so we can try to figure that out. But this is crucial for us as we take the step forward and revamp this ministry. So do that. Just do that. All right. Can we just do that? All right. Second item is where we're going next. I always like to give a little glimpse of what we're taking to next so you know where we're going. And the first, the next thing we're stepping into is a series called Making Change. Making change. Now, next week we get into a three-part series that we step into an area of life that many of us struggle with or struggle to talk about, and that's our finances. Yay! Right? Yay! Because the truth is, the reality is that we, we don't like to talk about our finances. We don't like to talk about money. It just makes us feel uncomfortable. In fact, as you're sitting in a church and you walk in and church starts talking about you, your finances, you're like, they're just saying, what's in my wallet? Right? They're just saying like, hey, credit cards are accepted. Well, they just want my money. That's what they talk about. That's not true. If you pick up this book and you have a conversation with God, he talks a lot about finances and how he has called us to live. And we want to walk through that with you. We want you to experience financial freedom. Um, and by the way, if you want financial freedom, it comes a way of a plan. You have to plan for it. You have to prepare for it. So we want to walk through this plan with you, a simple three-week plan of how you can step out and not experience fear 
or frustration when it comes to your finances, that you experience the freedom that God wants you to have. So that's the two things we're going, going to next, and I hope you mark that down. I hope you're part of that. But this morning, we're bringing to conclusion what I would say the last three weeks of something God awesome, right? God awesome walking through this, this series called Normalize. And if you missed any of the, the first two conversations of the series, I want to encourage you to go to our podcast. I don't know if you know we have a podcast we've talked about here and there, but we have a podcast we want to put out there for you to see and be a part of. Listen to Pastor Jacob as he talked about normalizing prayer in our lives week one. And last week, Pastor Barr was here and he talked about being bold in our prayers, consistently coming for God. We want you to be a part of that and have a part of your life. So I encourage you to go back and listen to that. But we also threw in this idea of 24 hours of worship and prayer, right? We've already talked about a couple people are happy about that. Yeah. 24 hours of worship prayer, which I believe was a, it was a sweet offering, was a pleasant aroma to our Heavenly Father. It was an amazing time of you, the church, coming in this room, praying and worshiping God for 24 hours. But what do we do now? What do we do now? After all this is done, three weeks, man, we've been through all this. The series is coming to close, but our prayer life can't come to an end, can it? Right? We talked about, it was mentioned yesterday, that we're not coming to an end. We're just getting started of having prayer in our, normalized in our life. But after all the study, after all the stretching, after all the praise and the worship, after all the Bible readings we read through the plan, after all the prayer, what do we do? What do you and I do? What do we do after we say amen? Now, I can't believe I'm the only one in this room who thinks about this. Whoever thought about this, that we come to the end of our prayers like, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now what? What do we do after that? Is there there's something we should be doing? I mean, have you ever thought about that? Do we just walk away with our fingers crossed and hope for the best? Do we keep the same exact routine that we've done before in the past? Do we wear the same clothes the last time God answered prayer because we think there was something sacred in the clothing that we we're wearing? Is it no shave November? I mean, come on, think about it. What do we do after we say amen? What we, was there, is there a secret ritual that I don't know about? Is there a hidden verse that I haven't read in, in my life? What do we do after we say amen? Am I, who here would want to know that? Come on, seriously, who would want to know what we do? Why aren't you all raising your hands? Would you want to know? Yes? Yes. Me too. I've got nothing. Sorry. Nah, just joking. Obviously, we can't walk through everything this, this idea after amen would encompass this morning, but we're going to take an honest look of what we could do and what we should be doing as we do this. And if you want to dig deeper into this idea, I want to share with you a resource. It's a book that I just finished reading a couple weeks ago. It's called After Amen. Imagine that. What do we do while we're waiting on God? It's a book written by Rusty George. Um, after service today, after service today, you will see this link on our Facebook page. If you want to grab that book and buy it from Amazon and purchase it from there. But it's a, it's a really cool book. And actually, as I read through it, it gave me a fresh look and view of prayer. It's one of the most practical and relevant books in prayer that I've read because he addresses the multitude of questions that you and I have when it comes to prayer. So what do we do after Amen. 
Let's get into this. Right now, you're open to a passage of Scripture that's going to help us walk through this idea this morning. Jesus had just arrived at Galilee after spending some controversial time in Samaria with a woman at a well when he proclaimed who he was, and, and a whole town came up and heard who he was. And right now, he came back to Galilee, and he went into Cana, where he performed his first miracle on his earthly ministry by turning water into wine. And what he does through this, he continues to reveal who he is to all those who are before him. And this is where you and I step in and slow down and get into the story with Jesus. Verse 45, check it up on the screen or your Bible's in front of you. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all they had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judah, he went to him, begged him to come and to heal his son who was close to death. Let's just stop right there. Our first step after we say amen, and what we want to do next is we need to simply see God clearly. Continue to see God clearly. Clearly, now I'm going to kind of walk through this so you can understand. The royal official was most likely a Jewish nobleman to the king. He heard this great news of this amazing healer, and his name was Jesus, that started spreading around, spreading around the lands. Now, if you were to read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's the first four books of the New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament. The first four books is all about Jesus. And if you were to go into those books and you'd read, you would see that every time Jesus stepped into a town, every time he came into a village, what does it say? The people came to him, and they brought their lame, and they brought their sick. Why? Because Jesus was healing them. And so this royal official heard that Jesus was nearby, and his son was greatly sick. He was afraid that he was going to die, and so he came to Jesus in great desperation. Now, just a sidebar, it's amazing what we'll do or we're willing to listen to or believe in when we're desperate, isn't it? The royal official traveled from Capernaum to Cana, which is about 16 and a half miles they didn't have cars, didn't have electric scooters. <clears throat> they didn't know what they're missing, right? So they walked, they had to walk, and that was 16 and a half miles. Now the average human being walks about three miles an hour. So it took him roughly five and a half hours to make this journey. Now listen, you wonder why I have the scooter? It's because most people tell me that Rich, you don't walk, you mosey, right? So I think my average walk speed is like 1.5 miles an hour. So it would take me roughly eight hours to make this walk. But anyways, that's just near here or there. He believed who he needed to be in front of. He believed who he needed to go in front of, so he made the trip. He, before, he came before the king of kings, and he asked him to save his son's life. And you need to see how Jesus responds. Look at verse 48. It says, unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told them, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come on down before my child dies. And Jesus simply responds, go. Your son will be healed. Let's just stop here again. Jesus was very clear how the world was seeing him. They were completely missed who he is. That it took signs and wonders and miracles for them to believe. And if those signs and miracles, wonders weren't there, they probably wanted nothing to do with Jesus. 
they would be filled with doubt and say, you are not who you say you are. And this man was persistent because he wanted his son to live. And he cried out to Jesus one more time, come before my son dies. And Jesus simply turned to him and said, go, your son will live. And that's kind of prayer. I've got, save my son. And Jesus said, go, he will live. Man, it's really easy to see God clearly when the prayers are answered the way that we want them. Right, we're like, amen, praise God, you are so good. But what happens when it's not that way? What happens when we say amen and we're waiting on God? Because you and I know full well it doesn't turn out to be this way. There's times in our lives when we're coming for God and we're begging him to heal someone we love. We're calling out to him to save someone we care about. We're pleading with him to provide for us. We're crying to him for him, someone to return back that has just walked away. And when we're waiting and we feel like it's never going to happen, man, it's not so easy, is it? How many times... Have we done that? How many times we cried out to God and we're waiting? It was the beginning of February, back in 2005 on a Saturday morning. And Stephanie and I were gonna go get our taxes done and we we're gonna drop our boys off and my parents for the day, grandma and papa were gonna watch our boys who were very, very young at the time. And we're gonna have this little mini date day. We're gonna go get our taxes done, like, yay, we're gonna get a return, we go spend some more money. And then, and we're gonna go hang out, we're gonna go spend some of that money and have dinner. That's our plan, right? It was, it was early in the morning, Steph and I were making breakfast in the kitchen, preparing for our day, and my neighbor came over and started pounding on our back door. Boom, 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 boom. I open the door and says, J.R. walks in, was a good friend of mine. He goes, listen, you need to call your parents right now. I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, call your parents. So I went over, picked up the phone, 607-532-4802. Busy. Hang up. 607-532-4802. Busy. And I looked at him and said, J.R., what are you, what's up? What is going on? I said, what are you talking about? Why are you acting so crazy? He said, listen, I just heard over the scanner that there's an unresponsive male at the at Mechanic Street Interlake and at the Clark residence. I picked up the phone and dialed again, 607-532-4802. Busy, 607-532, busy. And there wasn't an answer. There wasn't an answer on the other line. The phone was busy. So I ran over and grabbed the keys off and jumped in the van. We lived about five miles from my parents. I was there in minutes. And as I rounded the corner to see my parents' house, I saw two ambulances in front of their home. And I got out of the car, I jumped out, and I ran up to the porch, ran to the front door, and I could only see the lost look in my mom's face. And I turned to the left in the other room, and there was a bunch of paramedics working on someone who was on the ground. And it was only when I stepped a step forward that I could see that it was my dad. And I tried to rush in and be a part of it. Come on, let me get my dad. They just kept pushing me away and pushing me away. So I ran around the house the other side. And I said, come on, just let me to my dad. Come, let me get near him. And I said, no, we need to do our work. And at that moment, I just dropped to my knees. And I started crying out to God. God, save my dad. Make his heart beat, please. I'm not ready to live without him. I love him. God, please, I'm begging you. That morning, my dad passed away. Right before my eyes. And that morning, my life 
changed. So my dad didn't have a heart attack. He didn't have a stroke. His heart just stopped beating. God told him it was time to come home. God didn't answer my prayer. He didn't answer how I was begging him to answer. I didn't know what to do. I don't know how to respond. But let me just tell you, the next three years, my life was in a tailspin. I fell apart. I almost lost my wife. I almost lost my family. See, when God didn't perform the signs and the miracles and wonders that I was begging him for that morning, it revealed to me as I walked out of this and came back and healed, it showed me that I didn't see him clearly. I didn't see God for who he truly is. I saw God that I wanted him to be. I shared several weeks ago that I, there's a ton, friends, I don't understand about prayer. But there's one thing I know when it comes true after we say amen, whether it's a yes in Christ or a no in the Lord, God is still the same. It doesn't mean he doesn't love us, he loves us any less. Because God chose not to save my dad that morning right in front of my eyes. Did it mean he loved me any less? No. Did he mean he loved my mom any less? Absolutely not. Did it mean he loved my dad any less? Crazy no. It just meant at that moment, I didn't see how he sees. I didn't see him clearly. <clears throat> you know, many times we, we taint to take this tainted view of God right into our prayers. Our view of him is built off of what others say of him. Pastors, family members, friends, people who are skeptics. Our view is built on past hurt or experiences. Our view is built on what, and part of what churches are saying, what we've been a part of, or books that we have read. And when we build our view of God based on all those, all those things, our view may be close, but it's not clear. And over and over, when we walk close but not clear, we'll start defining God in our way, not the way. And we take that tainted view of him and we run our prayers right through that filter. And we get to the other side and we turn around and look at this awesome and perfect and holy and worthy God with distorted and distrusting view. After amen, we need to stay clearly focused on who he is. Because we don't see what he sees. We don't know his plan. We don't know what he knows. See, there's a door in front of you and I, in front of all of us, and that door is called humanity. Right? So we walk up and we can only see what's right in front of us. God knows what's on the other side. I'm sure you heard the phrase, right? You're a better door than a window. We try to see the TV. Get out of the way! Right? That's exactly what I'm talking about. We can't see on the other side. We can't see how our answered prayer or unanswered prayers truly magnifying the kingdom beyond a million different ways. 
Because we're finite, we're human, there's a door. Book of Revelation is a point of time where God opened the door to show John and the island of Patmos what's going to happen. That's what I'm talking about. But every day for us, we have a door right in front of us. And we can't see past it. And so we start doubting. We stop not trusting. And while we're waiting, like, come on, God, we just show up. A million different ways when that door is open. We can see how our answered or unanswered prayers affects the kingdom far greater than you and I can ever imagine. A phrase that's been running around my head for the past three weeks is God answers prayer what is greatest for his kingdom. And sometimes we just can't see it. We don't know what's past the door that's in front of us, but God does. Lamentations 3 says this, we will never for, I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yes, I will still dare to hope when I remember this, that the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercy never ceases. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. So I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. I think I stole this from Rusty. I'm going to give him credit, but if I say it three more times, it belongs to me. Um, he wrote, if, if we can come to the understanding that we're incapable of understanding God's holistic plan for our lives, prayers and all, but trust in his infinite power and wisdom, our lives after amen will be radically different. Would I have loved my dad to see his grandsons grow up to be godly young men he could be proud of? Absolutely. But if I choose to see God clearly, I have to rest everything in his hands. Knowing and trusting through the waiting and through the no's. And yes, we celebrate the yeses. That it's not God our way. It's God. He's the way. We need to stay and continually to see him clearly. And the only way we can do that is through reading this book and staying on our knees. The only way. Well, I'm up here preaching on a Sunday. I may share the scripture. Don't take my word for it. Open the word. When you listen to a podcast, don't take their word for it. Open it. Amen. Don't take their, their view of God. Open up and have a conversation with your God. That's how you see him clearly. Deepen, intimate, closing, closing relationship with him. Look back at verse 49. It says, the, Lord, the, Lord, the royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, and your son will live. And then it goes on and says, The man took Jesus at his word and he departed. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. I have so missed the second part of many times in my walk with Jesus. And the second part after amen is simply, we take the next right step. We take the next right step. This official heard Jesus' response and in turn did the next right thing. He started to go home. Jesus says, your son's going to be healed. And so he turned and went home. Did he know? 
I gotta ask, did he know that his son was gonna be healed? No way. There's no way he could have known. He came to Jesus in great desperation. Jesus called him out in this way. But did he want to believe? Did he step away in faith? Like, God, I, I need to see him. I need to trust him. Absolutely. See, when we come before God and see him clearly and present our request before the king of heaven, the burdens on our hearts, we just don't sit there and do nothing. We don't just sit there and cross our fingers and hope that God's going to show up, right? Rusty says it really clear for every single one of you. He says, my tendency is to start scrolling through the potential reasons why God is silent rather than and have an optimistic expectation that he's about to speak. If we believe that he is going to do something, anything, that means we need to continue moving forward in life. And if you read the scriptures, we constantly see this happening Jesus in Jesus' life. Jesus step in, people request things of him. He steps in, he offers hope. How many times does he tell them to take the next step? All right, well, let's go back to Cana. When he first came to Cana, right? John chapter two, two chapters earlier, starting at verse five, right? He starts having this conversation. He's at a wedding with his mom, Mary, and they run out of wine. And she walks up to Jesus saying, hey, son, you gotta do something here. And Jesus looks at her and says, woman, it's not my time. I said, it wasn't a negative woman. Just wanna point that out there, all right? It wasn't a... Oh, no, you didn't. This is not my time. You have to, how did Mary respond to Jesus when he said this? Look at verse five. It says this. His mother said to the servants, go tell the guest the party is over. It doesn't say that. Does it? Come on. Look what it says. It says, tell the servants, do whatever he tells you. Jesus just said, okay, it's not my time. But what does she do? She goes, tells the servants, listen, he's going to tell you to do something. He's going to do something next. I don't know what it is. I don't know how it's going to happen or when it's going to happen. But I guarantee he's going to do something. So listen, do whatever he tells you to do. She trusted that he was going to act. Over and over, we read this in scripture, Jesus, in Jesus' words. He tells them, listen, go show yourselves to the priests. When you got the 10, that Jesus healed the leprosy, and they, what happens? They were walking away, and then they were healed. They weren't standing from, okay, when is it going to happen? What about now? How about now? No, he turned there walking away, and he was healed. He says, go wash your, your eye, your face off in the pool. He says, doesn't say, don't pick up your mat. Don't get in the pool. Get up your mat and take your walk. He keeps on telling you, tell people, when you come to me, when I'm offering to you, there's something you're going to be doing in the process. So what does that look for us? What does it look like for us? After amen, what is our next right step? Maybe you're praying for your marriage, that your spouse is far away from God and you're pleading with God to change your heart. Maybe your next right step is simply to be the brightest gospel light in their life. Show that you're truly following him and God, glorifying, honoring him, and respecting your spouse and loving your spouse. 
Maybe you're being crushed financially. You're asking God to show you the job. Like, I put in for this job, God. If I had this job, it'd be about this much money. And then when everything would be just wonderful. So you're just waiting for God to do that. Or maybe your next right step is simply to put your house on a budget. Simply restructuring your lifestyle, not being like the Joneses, to live within your means. Maybe it's attending a financial peace university, which is happening right now. Maybe, maybe, maybe. It's simply attending our next series for the next three weeks. Imagine that. Maybe your health is failing. Or you have a loved one whose health is failing. And maybe you're wondering, like, wonder what I do while I wait. Maybe it's just stepping up and loving on someone else whose health is failing. Stepping into their world. Being a blessing to them. Maybe you're lonely. And you're praying for God. And I really would love some friends. I don't have real close friends in my life. And you're asking God, like, okay, what do I need to do? And he says, well, maybe it's time for you to take the next right step as you're waiting for me to work. To find someone in your life simply by maybe just joining a small group. Maybe just simply joining a small group will give God the opportunity to work out that miracle in your life by bringing a friend into your life. Because if you've ever been a part of a small group, man, some of my best friends are in small groups. We do life together. You know, back in PA, uh, I have a friendship. His name's Phil. And I was crying out to God, praying to God that I need a friend, Lord. I said, I'm a pastor of a church. And having friends in a church is very, very tough to be open and honest sometimes. And so I was praying, God, I need a friend. God, please show me a friend. And my friend stepped in my world, and his name is Phil. But that friendship started by me taking the next right step just by simply being his pastor. And then during that process, we went through marriage counseling with him and his wife. And we started connecting more, and that, that connection he grew, and that he became one of my leaders at our church. And that connection grew even further, and he became one of my best friends. What would happen if I just sat there and waited? What would happen if I didn't do anything? I just like, hey, God, could you just poof, show up here? Hey, there he is. Come on, that doesn't work that way. All I had to do is take the next right step, trusting in God's outcome, and he provided me a friend for life. We have no idea what God can do while we're waiting. But I wonder, I wonder if he would or could do something much more than we, while we're waiting for it. We just took the next step. Look what it says in verse 51. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired to the time that his son got better, he said to them, yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Verse 53, then the father realized this was the exact time in which Jesus has said to him, your son will live. I mean, come on. Come on, Jesus. I mean, this is awesome. This guy was on his way home. His servant met him and he said, dude, your son is good. When did it happen? When Jesus said it would. Friends, sometimes there are preparations to be made while we wait for his answer. 
And in that preparation is you and I taking the next right step. So right now, right here, what are you waiting on God for? What are the requests that you gave to him Said God, I have this mountain in front of me that I need moved. What are you waiting to hear God to step into your world? Maybe, just maybe, the answer comes with you taking a step forward, just trusting that God's going to respond in a way, his way. After amen, we need to continue to see God clearly. We need to continue to take our next right step while we wait. The last part is very, very simple. We keep praying. We keep praying. A lot of times we stop. I've prayed for a year, nothing, so I'm stopping. I prayed for two years, I'm done. I prayed for two weeks. Come on. We keep praying. The God, the guy heard that his son was healed. And look what happened next. Look at the end of this verse. He said, so he and his whole household believed. The end of that verse. So he and his whole household believed. Faith in Jesus became embedded in his life, in the life of his family. And when we people of red hot, we're people of rock solid faith. We are people of people who are red hot with prayer. It's part of everything we do. We keep praying. You keep praying. When he's, we're still waiting, you pray. Paul wrote this. Paul, a follower of Jesus, wrote this to the church of Thessalonians. He wrote this in chapter 5 in the first Thessalonians. It says, rejoice always. Rejoice always. And guess what it says next? Pray, you say it. Pray, pray, amen. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We continue to pray no matter what the answers are. We pray no matter how long we wait. We pray, why? Because that's what followers of Jesus do. We pray. And God's going to answer, right? He's going to answer in one way. We may not understand it, may not like it, we may not see it coming, but God will answer. We come before God and he says, I thought you were never going to ask. If you think about that, I thought you were never going to ask. We've done all this in our own strength. We've done it in our own wisdom. We've done it by our own ideas and our own way. And God's like, come on, I'm right here. Come to me. And he's saying, I'm, I was waiting for you to show up. And sometimes we come to God and the answer is yes with leftovers. What? There's a story of Jesus feeding over 5,000 people, right? With a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread. And he fed them all. But it didn't stop there. There was leftovers, a basket for each of one of his disciples. Maybe sometimes we come before God and he says, yes, but not in the way that you wanted. You were looking for this to be your yes, but it's a yes over here. Not my will, Father, but yours be done. Sometimes we come before him and he says, not at this time. Be still and know that I am the Lord, wait. 
And he's asking us at times to say, well, we're waiting. Just trust me. I got a, I got a better outcome down the road. You want this yes right here and right now. I said, no, 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 I don't want to give this to you because what I have down here while you wait is God awesome. And this is what I want you to have, God says, just wait. And sometimes we come before God and he says, no, because I love you too much. What you want is not what's best for you. What you want is not what's greatest for the kingdom. Now, I don't know full well why my dad died. <laughs> I'm sure I'm going to have a conversation when I get up there. So why did you let it happen? Because you didn't see, Rich. You didn't see how that moment and the crisis that you went through the pain that, that I walked you through, how it healed your marriage. You became a man of God who you were supposed to be, an image for your sons to follow. You didn't, you didn't see that I was gonna bring you through the pain of a broken church and raise you up and call you into ministry. You didn't see about the hundreds that I was gonna put in front of you so you can preach the gospel. You didn't see that, Rich. God says, I did. I loved you that much. Refine your faith because I wanted you to see me clearly. Now, how the world sees. So, where are you at this morning? Where are you at? Do you have a tainted view of your awesome God? Are you refusing to take the next step forward? We just stop praying because you don't feel God loves you. Where are you at? What is the after amen that he's calling you to take right now? Prayer needs to be a normal part of our lives that we look forward to trust in and rejoice that he has given that opportunity to talk with him. Adam McHugh says this in his book, The Listening Life. I am convinced that a listening life, a listening conversational relationship with God is supposed to be the most natural thing in life. The most natural thing in our life, prayer normalized. Imagine that. We are just getting started. The series is ending. But with your true normalized life, talking to God the Father is just getting started. See him clearly. Take the next step and continue to pray because that's his will for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. 
God, forgive me when I'm, I'm just yelling at you because I don't see you how you're supposed to be seen. When I doubt or to doubt your unanswered prayer or when I'm waiting, and I can't believe I'm the only one in this room who feels that way. But thank you for always being faithful. Thank you for being the God who's beyond the door of what I can't see, but I can trust in you. Thank you for being holy and perfect. Thank you for working in my life, calling to me to be something greater, something more for you. God, I pray for our church. As we walked through this series, we read about prayer, we studied and we prayed and we worship and we praised you. That we will be a church that prays. And right now, I'm gonna ask the prayer team to come forward. Come on up. Because church, I'm challenging you this morning. There's something in your life that you need to be prayed for or prayed over, come forward after service. We desire to have that conversation with you. We desire to speak life in you of the words of Christ. We desire to lift you up and encourage you through prayer. So I don't know what you're walking through. What is the after amen that you have not taken a step? And if you want to take that step, maybe just after service, come forward. And let the prayer team pray over you. Pray with you. And if you're in this room and you're watching online and you do not have that relationship with Jesus, let me just share with this. You're on the outside looking in. You want that connection. You want that relationship. You want to see God clearly. It starts with you giving your life to Jesus Christ. And maybe you've been stiff-arming him. Maybe you've been pushing him away because he didn't answer your prayer when you were younger, when you were a child. And you've been rejecting him this morning. He's calling you to himself. He is present saying, come. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I love you so much. So maybe after service, you come forward and you talk to one of our prayer team members and they want to pray with you as you cross the threshold of faith and accept Jesus Christ. Oh, what a sweet day that is. Father, you overwhelm me. You're full of glory and you're the only one who's worthy. I can only imagine what it's gonna be like and to see you face to face, be in front of you. Will I be on my knees? Will I ask you some of my dumb questions? But I love you. And I believe those in front of me do as well. Lead us, guide us, and direct us. That your spirit is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church, on your way out, please remember to take your connection cards to the orange table so we can connect for small group leadership. If you're a guest, we have a, we have a gift for you. But also on your way out, you'll be getting a trunk or treat invite card. We can hand these out. We have that coming up in a few weeks. God bless. Have a